Thank you for stopping by this science fiction podcast from Third Flatiron in Boulder, Colorado. Have you always wanted to tag along with a squad of military commandos on a deadly space mission? Well, you're in luck. Today we're presenting the short story Dirt Moon by Dan Kobold. A genetics researcher, Dan grew up in St. Louis, Missouri, and moved to Ohio this year to study the inherited basis of pediatric disorders at Nationwide Children's Hospital and the Ohio State University. Harper Voyager recently published Dan's debut novel, The Rogue Retrieval. Dan also hosts a weekly blog series called Science in Sci-Fi, Fact in Fantasy. You can see more about his work on his website at dancobalt.com. Third Flatiron is pleased once again to podcast work from this rising new talent, which appeared in the anthology Hyperpowers. For more from Third Flatiron, check out our website at thirdflatiron.com and subscribe to our feed. And now, here's Dirt Moon, read by Ryan Marshall. We were down to six soldiers when the worms came for us. The mission was a security sweep of some nameless dirt moon, the kind of thing I'd done a dozen times before. I stopped asking what the company wanted it for a long time ago. Might have been minerals, might have been precious metals. Fossil fuels were always popular. Hell, it could have been the dirt itself. Nothing taller than a head of lettuce managed to grow here on account of the planetary eclipses, but good dirt was hard to come by. The hydroponics companies bought it up by the freighter load. But like I said, I stopped asking what they wanted. My job was to secure the landing zone. We dropped out of orbit like a cannonball, made impact, and took up a formation. Sixteen grunts, locked and loaded. I got to hand-pick my soldiers for this one, so I had a good mix. Two plasma snipers, three heavies, and eleven cold-hearted mother killers. The heavies alone could pretty much raise this moon by themselves with the latest model cutter guns they packed. We swung out in a wide semicircle, running at a steady clip to put some distance between us and the landing zone. The ground shook under my boots as the transport fired up to make the jump back to orbit. My HUD showed everything five by five with the ship as it lifted off, and that was good enough for me. Once the metal was off the ground, it was air control's problem, not mine. It rumbled into the sky, leaving the moon bruised and silent behind it. My audio crackled to life with an incoming. How will the Matthias come in? That was one of our scouts, an advanced man whose tweaked metabolism let him run a half mile flat out without breaking a sweat. I'd marked his signal as he disappeared over a slight ridge, maybe 500 yards in front of me. Go ahead, Howie, I said. Got some movement to the southwest? Looks like a herd animal. They spotted me when I topped the ridge, over. They moving at you? Negative, over. They sort of... That's where he cut off. Howell? Nothing. I thought it was just a transmission problem. Then we started hearing the screams. Shit. I changed course and made a beeline for him. Jacques, can you get eyes on Howell? Absolument, said the Frenchman. Give me five seconds. I counted them off in my head, but didn't have to give the nudge. Sarge, you better get over here, he said. He even forgot the French accent, which told me how bad it was. I hit the jump button on my exosuit and started clearing twenty yards with each stride. Made it over the ridge in thirty seconds, but that was about a minute too late. There was nothing left of Howell but a dark stain on the ash-gray mud. Jacques had his plasma rifle leveled at the valley below, where a couple hundred shaggy-looking beasts were grazing. They didn't even look up. Did you see what did this? I asked. 
No, Sarge. Just this puddle. Poor Howl. Everything was too calm, too quiet in the veil below us, like a snake holding its breath before it struck. Let's keep moving, I said. We rejoined the formation only to notice that two of the heavies, MacArthur and Tobias, had gone missing. Their cutter guns should have been visible on the metal scanner, but those were gone too. What the hell's going on here? With three men down, I had to put out the SOS to command. I kept it short and sweet. Three casualties, unknown hostiles, requesting air support and immediate extraction. This was my 68th drop, 24th running point. They scrambled fighters in the backup transport within 40 seconds, but they wouldn't get here for about 45 minutes. That wouldn't be fast enough. We were down to 12 by the time we regrouped in the middle of a dusty hollow surrounded by the bleak landscape. One of the snipers had gone missing by then. Trish, who was my number two, found his rifle propped up against the rock at the base of the far ridge. That meant there were at least two assailants or something so fast and deadly we'd not seen it move among us. Now we stood in a tight cluster, half of us taking a knee, the rest standing, guns pointed out. Like a porcupine from hell. What's the ETA on air support? Trish asked. Thirty-six minutes. I'd been watching the countdown on my HUD, willing it to go faster. Damn. We need to get out of the open. Oscar, what looks good? The sniper had been casing the landscape with the scope on his plasma rifle. Got a rock formation half a click north of here. Anything moving? Oscar fired his rifle, and iridescent green bloomed on the distant rock face. Not anymore. Good. I want everyone to buddy up, I said. Trish, you're with me. They'd done this maneuver a hundred times before, so it came as naturally as riding a bike. They paired off and moved out, spacing themselves, guns at the ready. The terrain grew rockier, and before long they were moving through a maze of boulders. Malone was the first to start firing. The rattle of the heavy machine gun cut through the silence like a jackhammer. Then I heard Oscar firing his plasma. Whatever it was, the danger was right among us. I saw a long, unholy appendage sliding around a rock, and my heart went cold. Trish and I both fired at it, the rounds shooting up sparks on the rocks beyond. Worms. I should have known. They were nothing but leather hide and teeth, and they could tunnel through the soil as fast as a man could run. They were territorial, too, and damn near impossible to kill. The screams of my squad around us were testament to that. Trish and I shared a look, and ceased firing by unspoken agreement. We needed stealth here, if we had any shot at getting past them undetected. Gunfire gave off vibrations that would draw these devils like moths to a flame. We crept over the rocks instead, stepping lightly on the toes of our boots, holding one another's wrists when we had to. Almost like a dance. It reminded me of Kappa 3 when we'd had to cross an acid swamp to get to the transport on the far side, with the locals shooting at us no less. That was half a lifetime ago, but we moved like we were that young. We got to the rock formation, shouldered rifles, and shimmied up as best we could. Most of the squad was still in the rocks. They didn't dance quite as well. Trish and I laid down some covering fire, plugging at the dark muscular coils whenever they appeared. Not that we could always stop it, though. Jacques went down not fifteen yards from us and was sucked screaming into the ground like a goddamn horror movie. We really let loose after that, managed to kill one worm, but it was just a juvenile, which meant Mom and Dad were still around and pissed as hell. Six of us made it up on the rocks, me, Trish, and four others. The ground we'd just run across shook and trembled as the worms moved beneath it. They had our scent. The shuttle was two minutes out, coming in hot. 
Command had seen seven life signals wink out since I called it in. They knew how desperate we were. The worms circled us like wolves, churning up the moon dirt as they passed. Hundreds of white, sparkling stones glittered in the trenches they left behind. Diamonds, probably. So that's why the company wanted this place cleared so badly. Well, they'd have their work cut out for them. If there were three worms, there were a hundred, and you had to use subterranean pulse weapons to root them out of their deep holes. A two-year operation for a moon this size. Minimum. But that was somebody else's department, thank God. My only job was to get my handful of soldiers onto the transport out of here. Running low on ammo, Sarge, Trish said. Me too, said Oscar. He'd been placing his shots carefully, not wanting to waste the plasma. He banged the butt of his rifle on the rock where he crouched. Come on, baby, give me another shot or two. Oscar, don't, Trish started. A worm erupted out of the soil right beneath him and wrapped its jaws around his torso, pulled him back down to the ground while we unleashed fiery hell on it. It thrashed in the onslaught of gunfire, rolled over, and died. Not in time to save Oscar. I tried not to look at what was left of him. Warm air washed over us and engines hummed in the sky overhead. I've never heard a sound so wonderful. Climb up for extraction, I shouted. They were already moving. Trish and the three others, I watched the ground tremble with increasing fury as the worms sensed our escape. Maybe we'd just killed its mate, I don't know, but suddenly the thing went kamikaze on us, catapulted out of the ground and right at Trish, got hold of her boot. Son of a bitch! I didn't give myself the luxury of thinking. I took a running leap and landed on the worm's leathery back. It jolted beneath me, large as two horses, and surprised as hell that I was riding it. Trish kicked free and cocked her rifle. Go! Go! I shouted. She looked me right in the eyes, started to protest, but went. Thank God. The worm bucked, nearly throwing me, but it could still reach her if I let go. I clung to the leather and clambered up toward the mouth. It reeked of dirt and blood and death. The HUD told me three were on board, and it looked like Trish was almost there. I fumbled at my vest and found the fist-sized steel ball clipped to it. My concussion grenade. The last resort. I yanked it free. The worm began to turn its O-ring of curved teeth on me. I clamped my own teeth down on the metal pin, pulled it clear. I levered myself up and jammed it down the worm's throat. Go to hell, you bastard! The worm bucked and hissed like a snake caught on fire, but couldn't spit up the ball of death. Three, two, one. The blast blew the worm apart and sent me flying. I crashed backwards into something hard, unyielding. I started to black out when I felt strong arms wrap around my torso. I'd flown up and hit the transport right before they closed the door. Trish told me later they couldn't pry the worm skin out of my hands. It was four feet long. Mottled and tough and the color of diamond-speckled moon dust. It made one hell of a pair of boots. Thanks for listening to this podcast from thirdflatiron.com. Original music by Disco Volante. Sound production was by Andrew Cairns.